Hello and welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast where you get to sit in on conversations about books and reading with the ultimate book lovers, librarians. In each episode, we'll explore a theme and tell you what we're excited about reading right now. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Bibliophiles. Today we're going to be keeping it short and sweet, or potentially sour, because we're talking about short stories. And uh, this is a... uh, I guess it's not a genre, is it really? Well, we'll we'll be discussing this. It's a format, shall we say, um, that sometimes inspires a feeling of... from people. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you know what I mean when I say... (laughs) Like, I often find when people are looking for recommendations or they've heard about a book and I tell them, oh, it's a short story collection, they're like, oh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I actually love short stories, and... I tend to forget this about myself, because when I think about, you know, the kind of thing I like to read, short stories don't tend to come to mind, but when we were getting ready for today, and I was looking back at some of the short story books that I would recommend, I realized that there were a lot of authors where I loved their debut short story collection, and then they followed it up with a novel that just did not grab me, and I don't know if any of you have experienced that too, but we'll get into that, you know, what makes a short story great, the difference between a short story and a novel. Um, making the jump, you know, are short stories satisfying or not? Uh, there's much to discuss. What what even is a short story? For the first thing that popped into my head was the old, uh, I think, apocryphal Ernest Hemingway, shortest story in the world, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. <laughs> we even did a program a few years back about six-word stories, and we were doing six-word memoirs, you know, try to, like, describe your life in six words, which was a lot of fun. But uh, generally, I prefer a few more than six words. <laughs> you know, a good, a good number of words. So uh, let's go around and uh, introduce ourselves and uh, tell, the, tell the nice people out there, how do you feel about the short story? I'm your host, Jen Webb, and uh, I am a secret or perhaps unconscious short story lover, although it has to be satisfying. Like, there's nothing more annoying than a short story where you get to the end and you're turning the pages being like, that's, that's it. Where's the rest? (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, that can't be it. Uh, My name is Jen Forget. I'm the teen services librarian, and uh, I would describe myself as a reluctant short story reader. Uh, But I've read short stories in many different types and enjoyed them all. So maybe maybe I'll find more (laughs) to like after we talk about them. My name is Matt Schumann. I'm a library associate. And um, short stories are my favorite format. Oh, nice. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Um, my name is Megan Parker. I'm the programming librarian. Um, I think I'm like an accidental short story reader. <laughs> like, I read things that are recommended to me, but I don't seek them out. But I always seem to like them. Although I'm definitely with Jen on, like, if it's not satisfying, I find it way more frustrating than a novel that isn't satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It's funny because a novel is a much bigger investment of your time. Yeah. But I think in a short story, like, it really has to be, because it's so concentrated, if you're going to make it work, you know, it's, actually, it's really, really hard to do, to write a satisfying short story, you know, in that little amount of space. I think it's probably harder than a novel. Mm -hmm. You have room to mess up in a novel, Mm -hmm. or, like, meander, but in a short story, you really don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So... I wanted to kick things off with a, a wonderful quote from a... There's a wonderful book of essays by Michael Chabon called Maps and Legends. And uh, the very first essay in it is all about the modern short story. And uh, in it, he, he asks you to imagine, you know, what if kind of the trends of literature had turned out that 
all of short stories, you know, all the respected short stories in the world belonged to one genre, and that genre was nurse romance. And so, you know, the only kind, the only type of genre of literature that, you know, won awards and got great reviews in the New York Times Book Review and was in the canon was nurse romance. And in this universe, uh, Michael Chabon would be famous for writing Dr. Cavalier and Nurse Clay. <laughs> um, but then he says, well, replace nurse romance with the contemporary, quotidian, plotless, moment of truth, revelatory story, which is how he describes you know, the, the New Yorker short story, which is what I think I tend to think of when I think of short stories. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly it. It's the contemporary plotless moment of truth story about, you know, and it's every story of the New Yorker is like this. I mean, like maybe once in, like about once a year or once every two years is there a short story in the New Yorker that I actually enjoy. Um, but I just love this. Uh, the whole essay is about, and the whole collection is about how, you know, there is absolutely no reason why anything other than kind of contemporary slice-of-life writing should be in the genre ghetto in bookstores and libraries and you know, awards and reviews, um, and that the most interesting stuff happens kind of on the borders of genres. And I was realizing that is what all my favorite short stories have in common, is that there's something a little bit weird or off in them. And in fact, like, a short story is the perfect place to kind of play around with things being a little uncanny or, you know, a little bit unrealistic because in a short story you don't have to set up an entire universe with its own rules. You don't mm -hmm. have to do world building. You know, you don't have to explain why things are happening. Uh, a short story is like its own little world and you just kind of go with it. And so um, my very favorite short stories, going all the way back to high school when I first read the short stories of Gabriel Garcia Marquez and they had a big effect on me and my reading tastes. But I now, you know, like I demand a little bit of magic in my short stories. So luckily there's been a lot, there's been a lot of stuff to fit the bill for me, like uh, Karen Russell, who I think we've discussed before. I feel like some of these I've talked about on the podcast before because I love them so much. So Karen Russell, her debut collection was called St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. And there is some good stuff in there, but a lot of those stories had that typical short story problem where they just end randomly. And you feel like they just ended there because she couldn't figure out how to end it, um, which is a very common problem, at least for me in the short story. They're like, well, I set this up. I can't really figure out where it's going. So I'm just going to end now and call it, you know, I'll pretend it was an artistic choice. <laughs> like, I'm leaving it open and unresolved. I'm like, yeah, you just you didn't leave it anywhere. You just wrote half a story and then wandered off. Um, and then she wrote Swamplandia, which is a novel that I do love. Um, so she is the exception to this rule. And then she wrote a short story collection called Vampires in the Lemon Grove, which is so good. That was the it's first one on my so list good. as well. Yay! I took it on my honeymoon and read it twice. Nice. <laughs> I loved yes. it so much. And I feel like, as I recall, like every story in that collection satisfied me yeah. in the end. And, and if the, you, the title story is, like, achingly beautiful. Oh, yeah. I love, I particularly <laughs> love the story in there where all, like, presidents are reincarnated as oh, yeah. horses. <laughs> yeah. Um, that one's really gosh. cute. There's, there's great stuff in there. I don't know if cute's the right word, but <laughs> the idea, <laughs> yes. the idea of, like, Abraham Lincoln as a horse just know, really, really just, makes me happy. It's just so wonderful. In a very similar vein, I see that Jen has Helen Oyeyemi's uh, latest collected in her uh, in her hands, which is called "What Is Not Yours." Is what is not yours is not yours. I always mess that title up. In my notes, in fact, I have "What is yours is not yours." But come on, what kind of librarian are you? <laughs> um, 
But I love her book, Mr. Fox, which is a series of linked short stories, which is definitely the best way to write short stories, is to link them in some way. Like, you don't have to really, like, I'm not saying you have to write a whole coherent novel with a clear plot, but I love linked short stories, because it really makes you feel like it's justified, like all the emotional energy you invested in this very short piece of writing right. um, is not mm -hmm. wasted somehow. Right, and that, to use that again. That's what drew me to what is not yours is not yours is that there are characters who pop up, um, you know, in subsequent stories. Because when I read short stories, and it's in a whole collection, I do kind of miss those characters that I'm introduced to in the beginning, and mm -hmm. it's just it's just over. Um, so. That, that's one of the things that the rhythm of reading short stories is very different mm -hmm. from reading a full-length full, full length novel. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but of course it is true. Like, you get interested in characters and in a situation, and then, like, they get pulled out from under you so yeah. fast. I wonder, though, like, I'm, I'm putting my perspective into this a lot, but... Please. Um, a lot of people are raised with, I think, like, books, and... and like, you know, not short story collections. So I wonder, mm. like, does that nurturing really shape the overall, like how you were saying in the beginning, like a lot of people kind of groan maybe at them. But like, my perspective was, I didn't really read a lot as a teenager. I was more into just music and studying that stuff. But when I started dating my girlfriend, she's a short story writer and she showed me all sorts of collections. Mm and whether or not I just associate that with, you know, like, the beginning of our relationship and love and everything. <laughs> I think I'm separate from that, but it was such a more digestible way of reading for me, and I know, like, I can be scatterbrained and everything, which is perfect for, what, a 10 to 20 page <laughs> story. And going with the thing of, like, um, continued characters kind of throughout short story collections, Juno Diaz is really good with that in all three of his mm. collections. I need to read his stories. I did really enjoy um, his novel, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, and mm. I'm always kind of meant to go back. And it, was, it was one of those novels where I felt like he had a lot of ideas, not all of which were kind of thoroughly developed, or like not all of which paid off. Um, and so, you know, it's possible that it might be easier to do that in a short story. I don't know. I completely agreed with also, like, when mm -hmm. you said that in the beginning of, like, short stories either just kind of end or when they uh, like unexpectedly or they don't short story writers don't translate well to novellas or novels because mm -hmm. I find that like any like I agreed with Gino mm -hmm. Diaz or George Saunders or mm -hmm. any other bigger names like mm -hmm. yeah I couldn't get into Helen Oyemi's novels um, I know my wife read one and said you know it was fine but she didn't like it as much as Mr. Fox and I couldn't get into um, Boy Snowbird and I couldn't really get into, um, there's a, Laura Vanderberg, uh, just a couple of years ago, did a great collection called Isle of Youth, and then she went on to write a novel called Find Me, which I also couldn't get into. Uh, in that case, it's just that Find Me had a really depressing plot and premise, and I was just like, I can't handle this. Like, actually, in a short story, I, I avoid any depressing books like The Plague, but in a short story, like, a depressing short story, it's like, okay, it's like a shot. It's like quick and painful, but it's over, you know, you can handle it. Um, you know, and sometimes it's it's all right because, like, I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time being down. Like, I'm willing to experience, I am willing to experience the emotion of sadness <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, um, 
God, I have talked so much. Listening to past episodes, I'm like, Jen, just, you talk so much. So I'm going to let someone else <laughs> talk for me, guys. I feel the same way when I listen. I'm like, Megan, <laughs> shut up. You're not that interesting. Sorry, <laughs> no, everyone. Nonsense. Um, <laughs> apparently, I love my own voice. Um, well, I've had Vampires on the Lemon, Lemon Grove written down as well by Karen Russell. Um, another one that I really liked that I just sort of stumbled on because it was shelved in fiction. Mm. Um, it was not shelved with short stories at a different library. Um, so I just sort of stumbled upon it and when I was browsing. It was called Walk the Blue Fields by Claire Keegan. Um, she's a Irish writer. She also wrote a uh, collection called, her debut collection was called Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Um, I own it but have mm. not read it. Hmm. Which is one of my fatal flaws. Mm-hmm. If I buy a book, mm-hmm. it's gonna sit on the shelf for like three years before. I, I am the it. same way. Like I buy books and I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm so excited about this. And then as soon as I have it, it's like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in it anymore. Yeah, or it's like more pressing to read things that have mm-hmm. due dates. So yeah. Um, Although I'm the same with books yeah. that I've put on reserve at the library. Like <laughs> as soon as they come in, I'm like, eh, not right now. Yeah. Yeah. I only want what I don't have. Exactly. <laughs> but Claire Keegan, um, so Walk the Blue Fields, which I have read many times, and I now own because I really liked it. Um, she's an Irish writer, so I, she like definitely is in that vein of like traditional Irish storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, like most of her stories focus on people in like the Irish countryside, um, but modern day for the most part. Um, but there's like definitely that hefty dose of like Irish sadness and like despair, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which I find I really enjoy. Um, even though I don't necessarily like reading depressing books, just mm-hmm. kind of like you, but. Um, for some reason, if they're Irish, it's fine. Like, um, <laughs> the beautiful melancholy. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a lovely collection. It's very mm-hmm. atmospheric, which I really like. Um, not all of them have like much of a plot, but they're not like the moment of revelation mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Um, they are sort of just a small glimpse into these people's lives, which mm-hmm. I enjoy. Um, so I really liked her, and I don't think she's written a novel. Mm. Could be wrong. Mm. I think she's sticking with short stories. So. Yeah, there are some people who stick strictly to short stories. Yeah, um, I think like, anyone listening to this who's into short stories is probably going to be like, "Why are you not talking about Alice Munro?" But I'm sorry, I've never read any Alice Munro. But she's like the most famous, or one of the most yeah. famous examples of the mm. the short story master who that is what she does, and uh, apparently she's great. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. many many library patrons uh, <laughs> would scold me for not having read her, but. It's on my list of things, maybe. Yeah. Although I, I think that she writes mostly realistic mm-hmm. stuff, and so you know, it may not, it just may not be weird enough apparently to get me <laughs> to get me to pick it up. <laughs> but it's it's funny what Matt what you were saying about people kind of growing up on full length books because I was thinking like when I really started to think about it, I thought well there must be some kind of connection between like fairy tales and the folk tales that I grew up on and that you know a lot of kids grew up on. And the short story, because fairy tales are short stories. Fairy tales have a plot, usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beginning, middle, and an end. And I always really enjoy short stories that, you know, that are connected to fairy tales in some way. So, you know, whether it's magic realism or then, I think, like, my early Garcia Marquez experiences kind of led me on to Angela Carter, um, who's very famous for her short stories and Burning Your Boats, um, and who wrote a lot of sort of, you know, was one of the first people to kind of look into fairy tales and write sort of darker adult takes on fairy tales, which I love. And that also led me into um, fantasy short stories, of which there are many, many, and as uh, Michael Chabon uh, talks about in his essay, like 
there was this really long, illustrious tradition of the science fiction short story, which has sort of fallen by the wayside. But there are still like volumes and volumes of the year's best fantasy and science fiction short stories. Mm -hmm. um, and there's all the collections that are edited by uh, Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling, which are amazing. I read one of those, which is called uh, White Rose Blackthorn, at an impressionable age. There was lots of sex in that book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's wonderful. I love, you know, kind of, I love uh, adult fairy tales. And also, um, Charles Delin is a fantasy writer who, uh, his stuff had kind of went downhill over the years, but he has a couple of collections of stories and some novels that take place in this fictional city called Newford. Um, and Dreams Underfoot, I think, is the first short story collection. And that was like a totem book for me in high school um, that I like, carried around with me and read to death. So, <laughs> but I, and I haven't revisited it in a while, um, but I'd like to think it would still hold up. So I'm going to recommend, I'm going to take a risk and recommend that. Yeah. I remember reading a lot of science fiction short stories in school. Mm. I mean, obviously a lot of Ray Bradbury. Mm -hmm. but, oh, yeah, so good. Um, but I feel like when we read short stories, it was often science fiction-y. Hmm. I don't know why. Maybe I just had a few teachers in a row who were really into that. it. But And maybe that is also why I didn't... It took me a really long time to, like, get into shorts. I mean, I'm not even into short stories now, but, mm -hmm. like, I like them, but I don't see them out. Because I wasn't a real science fiction person until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. Like, as a teen, I didn't like it. Hmm. And so I think maybe having been exposed... And I do think, you know, I was definitely raised as, like a novel reader mm -hmm. and like the longer the better um, <laughs> you one of those kids you know. who demanded that everything be over 200 pages oh yeah I was like the worst <laughs> I was just the worst I, I you know I loved like showing up my classmates like oh your book was 300 pages mine was 400 <laughs> like, I love that I was the worst but, but I think there is kind of a bit of a, a prejudice mm -hmm. that you know oh it's all it's only you know short story. It's not a novel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's Nor Matt. Matt, <laughs> Matt lay, some, lay some wisdom on it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to like come across as like pretentious, but like <laughs> because I think part of the appeal of a short story is the appeal of like having master over the craft of language. In a mm -hmm. novel like like you can just like do whatever. Like I read uh, is it Hanya Yanigahara mm -hmm. uh, A Little Life Mm -hmm. And it was just like you could have cut. It's a seven hundred page book of mm. dismal, like depressing, <laughs> over and over. And I love that because I love <laughs> the moment of truth thing in a short story, or I love how depressing short stories can be. <laughs> but like, it was just like enough. Just cut three hundred <laughs> pages. These are steak tips that need to be trimmed. I, like, um, I like that. Part. But like, it's a short story, like a steak tip. Yes, <laughs> I do think you're right. I think it's harder to write a good short story than it is to write a novel. And mm -hmm. I think, a, like, a good short story has to be so tight, like you can't waste really even like a sentence. Like, yeah. if you want it to be really good, you can't. so like to to write a really effective, moving short story, like you need to be a great writer, you need to be a great editor, you need to have a great editor. Um, whereas, like, I think we've all talked in the past about books that just, like, really desperately needed to be edited better. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, like, with a short story, you really have to, or it's going to fail. So mm -hmm. I think you do have to be, like, a master to write a good mm -hmm. short story. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think, like, a short story is right perfectly in the middle, like, a good one, in between poetry and a novel. 
Like, yeah. And and we just did the program for Brokeback Mountain where it compared the short story with the movie, and I hadn't read the short story until right before the program, and mm-hmm. that is, like, to me, the perfect short story. It really is. The jargon, the, like, how, the pacing, like, the language is just unreal. It's so, like, it's so subtle. It's so, I don't know, it's so Mm -hmm. impressive. I figured that that would come up because we did just have that program and I was going to bring it up if it didn't, but yeah, uh, Brokeback Mountain is just a great, great story. Um, And it was a great adaptation. Uh, Harkening back to last episode, uh, I believe I read the story after seeing the movie. Uh, as, as is my vote, <laughs> but I, you know, even if I had done it the other way around, I think no one could argue that that wasn't a great adaptation. Um, in some way, like a short story is more suitable to be adapted because a movie is just not very long, uh, and you know, when you think about how much plot most movies have, it's really not a lot. It's also not there's not a lot of words in a movie on average. Um, this is a total tangent, but. There's a great little book by Brian Michael Bendis, a graphic novel or sort of well, a graphic memoir called Fortune and Glory, um, about his experiences in Hollywood. And when he first has to write a screenplay, um, someone who's trying to help him, you know, who has a lot of experience, is like, okay. He looks at his first draft of the screenplay. He's like, okay, you got to sit down and watch a movie and really count how many words there are. Like, notice how many words are used and when he actually does this, you realize there's like no words in a movie at all. So few, so many fewer than you would imagine, especially compared to a book or even a comic book script. Yeah. That was fascinating because mm-hmm. she, uh, Professor Monica Raish, who hosts this event, uh, talked about that, like how few words were in Brokeback Mountain, mm. and then was like breaking down the visual language that mm-hmm. you don't even realize, but you're unconsciously perceiving all of it. like. The, like the way that people are if there's two people in a shot and like their leg is apart from the person then in like later on uh, they're overlapping mm-hmm. but not like mm-hmm. physically touching it's mm-hmm. like oh see that you know whatever that does unconsciously it's it yeah cool. so Matt what are what are some of the other short stories which uh, which we should know about <laughs> well I have a lot of like the bigger names um, but like I'm a really big fan of George Saunders. I was not mm-hmm. too impressed with 10th of December, the one that came out recently, mm-hmm. but his collection in Persuasion Nation is like, it's phenomenal. It's sometimes, some editions are paired with his novella, um, The Brief and Frightening Reign of Phil, which was written during the Bush era, so it's like pretty obvious what's going on in that. Huh. It's like a allusion to uh, the Bush presidency, but... Is it George W.? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, I should have clarified. Oh, no problem. And, uh, but in Persuasion Nation, there's this, like, one story in particular, which I don't know if I should, like, give the details of, because it's, like, kind of spoils it, but it's... Go just I, just to the edge of spoiling it, and it, then stop. <laughs> it just shows, like, I don't know, again, it's, like, the moment of truth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's so, like, brutal, and you're like, why? Why did this happen? It's just, the short story is just, uh... Scientists experimenting on rhesus monkeys with like a medicine for humans, and it just gets worse and worse throughout <laughs> it. And then the last thing that happens is like you're like they didn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. That was my reaction to it, but mm-hmm. it's so powerful for like what the subtext is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I really like Lori Moore, her collection mm-hmm. self-help. I mean, it's she's like a classic feminist short story writer. Mm. Um, Juno Diaz, as I said, with Drown or This Is How You Lose Her. There's like more experimental stuff too, like when you're talking about sci-fi. I've said him before, but um, there's a Polish writer, Stanislaw Lem. Mm-hmm. He, um, he actually does transition well to novels from short stories, mm-hmm. but he does a lot of like philosophical and sci-fi short stories, stories that presents a lot of difficult concepts and bite-sized pieces that are really, really fun and make you like question everything, mm-hmm. question reality. I don't know. My idea of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that actually does sound like my idea of fun. It's possibly really like, <laughs> possibly like disturbing stories about experimenting on monkeys are not my idea of fun, <laughs> although you have intrigued me. Yeah. But, uh, I, well, <laughs> I want to know what happens, but I don't know if I want to go on the emotional journey that it's going to be. It made me cry. <laughs> I was like crying. If it made you uh, cry, then I'm going to definitely cry. I'm crying everything. It's really impressive when a short story can make you cry. Yeah. Because mm. that means it's had to do a lot of work on you very quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe I just thought like oh maybe because I like music so much and appreciate like when an album songs are you know like the 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 songwriter can showcase their variety. I love that parallel in a short story writer because George Saunders isn't always sad or mm-hmm. Juno Diaz isn't always that way. Mm-hmm. But they can write in like a variety of voices and a variety of concepts. Stands a lot. Lem is more confined to philosophical and sci-fi realm like. Yeah, it's interesting. Like a short story really does have more in common with a poem than it does with a novel a lot of times because you know every word has to be chosen so carefully and kind of intentionally. Um, and you know what's you know what is and isn't included has so much more weight. Did Laurie Moore write Birds of North America? Yeah, Birds of America. Okay. Yeah, that's like her that's biggest been on collection. My list for a long time. She used to live. I don't know if she still lives. She used to live in Madison, so I was like, oh, cool. Wisconsin connection. Yeah. I think that, I don't know, I feel like like reading <laughs> good short story writers is the way to really get into the genre. I mean, I think that I just had that automatically from my girlfriend because she just was relaying, like, oh, you got to read this, you got to mm-hmm. read this. And there's also really good um, publications, like Paris Review does those, or the mm-hmm. O. Henry Prize does a um, collection every year, or mm-hmm. Pushcart has more of, like, not the bigger name for um, Tin House is another magazine that mm-hmm. has not that many like big names like Paris Review gets mm-hmm. or Dave Eggers has the non-required reading oh yeah, yeah. that's always a lot of fun yeah yeah well that it brings up another question about kind of what what is a short story because we were talking earlier about what we've what we've read and Jen was mentioning uh, Mindy Kaling and I was like oh those aren't short stories are they they're more like humorous essays but uh, with comedy writers, they're really it's like hard to draw the line because a lot of kind of a lot of comedians who do both stand up and then they write collections, you know, not everything is strictly true stories about their life, so they do kind of shade into short story territory. Mm. Um, we were talking about um, B J Novak, who uh, was it last year, two years ago, the collection called One More Thing, which I found kind of uneven, but there were a couple of really great stories in there. This one that I think I also have talked about before on this podcast, um, but about a man who falls in love with a robot, mm-hmm. which I just thought was terrific. That was one of the best yeah. of that collection. I also, I enjoyed his little, sort of a little comedy piece in that book about um, the Best Thing in the World Awards, 
hosted by Neil Patrick Harris, um, which is, it's almost not, it's more, I would have called that more of a humorous thing, like a humor piece than a short story, but it just, it's one of those things where it does get very weird and uncanny, but it's sort of just a series of, like, scenes from this imaginary awards show, um, <laughs> in which I feel like, what is it, the, the nominees for Best Thing in the World are, like, love, Christmas, and then this year, unexpectedly, nothing gets nominated. Like, nothingness, I guess. Like, <laughs> the absence of, <laughs> of anything. And, yeah. It was, it was pretty good. I liked it. But there's a... I mean, there really are short stories for every... For anything that you like, there are short stories. I'm a big fan of romance short story collections. I guess they tend to call them more novellas because they tend to be a little on the longer side. Um, a traditional really short short story isn't really enough time to tell a whole romance story, generally speaking. But, uh, and this is not, I, you know, I would probably not imagine you going home with George Saunders and Julia Quinn's Lady Whistledown Strikes Back, but, uh, <laughs> but you might, you might. Uh, but those, there's a couple of collections uh, that kind of come out of the romance writer Julie, Julia Quinn's um, world. And she has this character, Lady Whistledown, who's like a gossip writer in <laughs> her novels. And um, she and a bunch of other writers got together and kind of wrote stories with the linking you know, theme of Lady Whistledown's gossip column. So it's a lot of fun. That sounds fun. Okay. Yeah, I love, I, love a, I love a romance novella collection, especially like pretty much every year there's a good Christmas collection of some kind if you're feeling like feeling the sappy romance Christmas glow. <laughs> Again, I, I just I recommend pairing that with Julio Cortazar, <laughs> or perhaps Borges and Spixiones. <laughs> no, life is a rich year. tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's some really awesome young adult short story collections too. It's been a little while, but uh, I really love. Was it? It's called Am I Blue? Mm-hmm. The, um, an LGBT themed short story collection, which I love. Yeah, there was a crazy one that came out maybe five years ago called Zombies vs. Unicorns. <laughs> and um, I f- can't remember the two authors. They're both pretty well-known YA authors. Um, but they just kind of take on this theme of, like, which one is better, Zombies vs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unicorns. And they write, like, these crazy stories about bloodthirsty unicorns. And it's, like, this awesome mix of horror and fantasy <laughs> and, and you know Matt was talking earlier about fantasy writers maybe being more versatile or maybe being better able to write longer form and um, I, I noticed that there seems to be a lot of uh, collections coming out especially fantasy writers where there's like one headliner and then you know several other maybe lesser known authors and there was one collection that I read um, called Mean Streets, and Jim Butcher was kind of like the the well-known name, and mm-hmm. then um, Simon Green and Kat Richardson both had stories in it. And I read all three of their novels, and I thought they were all fantastic. Um, and, and I just kind of was wondering whether maybe fantasy writers, because their craft is about world-building, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's why they tend to be able to translate into a novel. But I love mm-hmm. all three of those those writers, especially Kat Richardson, and I never would have read her um, had it not been for Mean Streets, and she has this fantastic series called um, Grey Walker, and it's these um, you know urban fantasies about a, a female PI uh, who has returned from the dead and you know has these kind of 
supernatural powers, and it's mm-hmm. it's awesome. But I, I never would have picked it up if it hadn't been like, but Jim Butcher really likes her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's actually how I found a bunch of romance authors I like is that they were the you know they were in these collections where there's usually a, the most famous author has their name in giant letters above the title, and right. then there's a couple other ones in small print. Uh, yeah, short stories have kind of always been the way that people broke in. Like back in the day, uh, you know, all the a lot of there used to be a lot of mystery short stories. You know, Dash Lamb and Raymond Chandler all got their start. You know, writing short stories in magazines, and there used to be all these science fiction short story magazines, and that's how people kind of broke in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still seems like you know everyone who goes to everyone who comes out of an MFA creative writing program puts out a short story collection <laughs> and then a novel. Um, and that is. It's a typical trajectory. I was going to say, because, like, I think short stories were way more popular, like, several decades ago. Like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Playboy had them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and, like, I was thinking of what you said about The New Yorker, and I feel like to get mm-hmm. in The New Yorker is, like, probably, like, prestigious, mm-hmm. obviously, but it's, like, it's fitting some sort of mold, just mm-hmm. in the way that Iowa always has... Their writers' workshop always has the number one MFA in creative writing, yeah. and it, to get into it, you like pretty much have to fit a mold. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, for a general audience, maybe that's just not. Maybe that's why a lot of people don't like short stories because mm-hmm. they're not getting exposed to the variety that's out there. Yeah, I think yeah. that was that's certainly the argument that Michael Chabon's making in that essay, and I think it, he's very much aiming at things like Iowa. Where you know any of, any of these institutions, they start to become a little bit of an echo chamber because you know the people who teach, you know, are likely to pick students whose work they naturally kind of gravitate to because it's similar or you know, it fits what they think of as, you know, literary. Yeah, and I complain a lot about kind of the the um, confines of kind of realistic modern literary fiction, but because uh, all this stuff. I have plenty of recommendations to make if you're in if you're into things that are literary but also like a bit weird. <laughs> but uh, I was just I have to mention um, Kelly Link, who I think also only writes short stories as far as I know. Um, but her most recent book was Get in Trouble, and that's another like super satisfying collection. Um, and she's kind of slightly more of a fantasy person, but I'd say you know there's nothing really any more genre about those stories than about Oyeyemi or Laura Vandenberg or Karen Russell or any of those folks who sort of are considered squarely literary writers. Yeah. And it also, uh, I'm remembering Amy Bender, who has now written a bunch of collections and a bunch of novels. Uh, and again, I never managed to read any of her novels. But I really liked The Girl in the Flammable Skirt, um, although it's been many years. I was looking That's it up in the catalog. Title. Yeah, it's oh, a great title. Like All of her titles are really great. Um, she also wrote... Um, an invisible sign of my own, and what is it? The peculiar sadness of lemon cake. Oh, yeah. oh the peculiar yes. sadness of lemon cake, which I have not read. But yeah, she's a she does that sort of title. Um, I was looking up the girl in the flammable skirt, and there's a the excerpt in the catalog is I think like the whole a whole story from the book, <laughs> and it was extremely inappropriate. <laughs> I was like, I do not remember this at all. <laughs> I almost was hesitating to recommend it, but you know, adult content warning. <laughs> It's funny, like, every, pretty much everyone on my list is a woman, which is interesting. But, uh, you know, not that, that, not that there's anything wrong with that. I will also mention um, Kevin Wilson, whose debut collection was Tunneling to the Center of the Earth, yeah, that's a good which is also, like, a really charming collection of stories. And then, once again, I could not get into the novel that he wrote after that, yeah. The Family Fang. Uh, 
Oh, I know what this is. I tried to read the novel. I didn't Mm -hmm. even know he had a short story collection. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get into the novel either. Mm. Well, I recommend the short stories. Maybe I'll try the short stories instead. Whatever happened to that guy? Has he written anything else? I'm going to have to go look. He's writing. Yeah. He's been writing since, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Kevin Wilson, I'm cheering for you. Write some more stories. I feel like if you want to get into short stories, you mentioned Borges, and that should not be where you start. <laughs> Probably not. No, although I do love him. But again, like I like the weird stuff. So, so where should you start? I don't know. <laughs> yes, tell us, Matt. Well, I really like those the O. Henry Prize short. Like uh, they collect like the year's best fiction, mm-hmm. or um, Dave Eggers' collection, the non-required reading, mm-hmm. is really really good. Better. I think George Saunders in Persuasion Nation is like a, mm-hmm. a great place to start. All right. I am going to read that. I will report back. I solemnly planned. <laughs> I will hold you to it. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, if you, if you have been heard about short stories, uh, <laughs> do give them a chance. We can, we can try to make some recommendations based on your novel taste. Yeah. Yes. We, uh, we clearly need some lessons in short story writing and being more pithy because here we are. <laughs> here we are meandering. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Bibliophiles is a production of Cary Memorial Library in Lexington, Massachusetts. Matt Schumann engineered the podcast and created our theme music. Do you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Library or on Twitter and Instagram at Library. That's C-A-R-Y-M-E-M Library. For show notes and to find out more about us, visit us at carrylibrary.org.